Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We are back and today is part two. We're talking, of course, about listings. One of the, I think one of our favorite topics, certainly, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to last in real estate, you better learn how to be a listing agent. And so we're going to get to the next five points um, here in part two. Before we do, Julie, I was listening in as you were listening to a podcast this Mm -hmm. morning and the podcast you were listening to was an interview with a guy that had a whole bunch of impressive titles and names and former jobs. Yes. Don't ask me his name, but you're right. And this was a housing wire podcast and mostly focused on mortgages. And he was talking primarily about, of course, the mortgage industry, which has been going through a shift and the uh, necessity of loan officers to have some flexibility and to not just have one product. He was talking about reverse mortgages. He was talking about adjustable rates. He was talking about different types of buy-downs. As we've been discussing with all of you guys, that same discussion is happening in the mortgage world. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I, this sounds boastful and maybe a little braggadocious, but you know, we got to take credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and I came out with the podcast. It was probably right at the, maybe in June or July of, of the whole COVID thing, you know, back in 2020. Sure. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about why there's not going to be a housing crash. We started mm-hmm. formulating all yeah. of our thoughts. And I think at that point, the podcast was maybe five points mm-hmm. <laughs> and then six months it's later growing. <laughs> yes exactly six months later it was 10 points and then it was you know 15 points um, and really we've not found any reason to believe that there's going to be a housing crash there will be continued inflation there might be a slowing of what a lot of you like to refer to as appreciation but really it's inflation i know this seems like a wonkish point but it really is important to res- to understand Agents call, real estate people call, well, consumers call. When your house goes up, they call that appreciation, right? Well, really when it's inflation, it is inflation. So if you're selling in any place other than really the coast, your normal, let's call it inflation appreciation rate is going to be whatever the normal appreciation, or I'm sorry, whatever the normal inflation rate is for the country. What we experienced in the last couple of years was abnormal. So we had what was uh, you know, reported as a single digit inflation rate, something like three or 4%. And yet homes were appreciating by double digits uh, for like almost three years. Well, now what ha- has happened is the inflation rate and the appreciation rate of homes have at least caught up now to the point where some of the inflation, the appreciation is starting to come out of homes. Now, what does that mean? It means that you're still going to experience and still going to have, if you've been in your home for two years, you're still going to have, you know, 30, 40% more equity in the home than when you paid for it, when you bought it. So, well, I mean, it's really, yes. the, when you hear these headlines and these stories, you know, there's, it's all about hype. Basically, it's all about clickbait. Just make sure you read the content. And sometimes even the content's written to try to get you to believe that there's, there's a housing crash that's essentially eminent. I don't really clearly understand why, uh, frankly, the press wants people to believe in mass that there's going to be a housing crash. For reasons I just truly don't understand, Julie and I have tried to figure it out, but it does seem like every time they get a bit of housing news, they're going to want to spin it towards the negative. Again, it's bizarre to me because so many people are hurt when there's any kind of, you know, home depreciation or, I mean, Julie was listening to this interview with this guy in the mortgage, uh, you know, business Mm -hmm. primarily and hearing him talk about what loan officers are going through. I mean, that's not something that we're experiencing on the real estate agent side, which 
actually reminds me to remind all of you loan officers out there who are listening to us, if you have real estate licenses, yes, absolutely. This is a great time to get in the business. And this is also a great time for you to consider joining Julie and I EXP Realty. And if you are ready to move up to EXP Realty, whether if you've got a real estate license, it is the next natural progression in your real estate career. If you're a new agent about to be licensed or a seasoned great old team or, you know, veteran of any variety, let's have a conversation. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. And let's have a conversation about why EXP Realty is probably the next natural step for you. And again, if you haven't chosen a sponsor yet, Julie and I'd be honored with the opportunity to earn the right to be your EXP Realty sponsor. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. So Julie, on this interview that yes. Tracy was doing, right? Tracy Welt? Uh, one of her colleagues, actually, but you're on the right track. Right. And what were the other things that you learned from that podcast? Well, from a mortgage person's standpoint, and they, were, they were talking about flexibility. They, you know, refinances have essentially dried up because who's going to refinance to a higher rate? So what do you do with that? Well, his point was the next uh, tsunami of mortgage action is predictably going to be the home equity line of credit. Now, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because everybody's got equity. And so he was talking about the importance of loan officers learning how to do home equity lines of credit because that wasn't the thing for a long time. Uh, So that was one thing. And then he was really talking about a lot of the stuff that we do, which is to expect that for a relatively minor shift followed by another bout of enthusiasm for housing and he cited demographics which we yep. typically talk about and what's demographics that's a whole lot of people getting into the market well it's con- it's consumer yeah. right there's no consumer reason th- there's massive pent-up demand for homes that is un- it's historic it's unprecedented the number right. of people that want to transact in the next three to five years if not today it's the numbers have never been this high in like the history of the united states that's right and he also put uh, some interesting color to the you know what rates have done he said you know if you look historically between the quantitative easing the three rounds of that and then uh, plus the big round of it during early covid that that's not a normal thing to do and he you know he's been um, in his business for four decades. So he's got the same kind of perspective that we do, plus a little bit. And he said, you know, you guys think that that was normal, but in reality, somewhere around six, seven, eight percent is more normal and will normalize. And not to expect the the crazy, you know, Fed-supported super-duper low interest rates. So he's talking about six to seven percent inflation or appreciation, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's what he's referring to when he says normalize. And I'll go as far as to say I think that's still abnormal, truthfully. Well, he was really talking about uh, mortgage interest rates. Oh, that. mortgage interest rates. Okay, Right, that, that will go up for a while, and then it'll settle in at a more normal percent, but not to expect and not to hang your hat on, oh, you know, we'll just wait it out until rates are 2.5% again, because right. that was a weird thing. Well, we're working on a podcast, which, again, we talked about this yesterday. It's going to be something that will also turn into a video Probably Julie presenting it because she's going to be writing most of the content. And it's going to be reasons why you should be buying a house now. The idea is we'll produce this for you to share with your buyers and maybe even your sellers that might be buyers. And I think that that'll help a lot of you avoid the conversations that you're maybe not so comfortable with. Um, where we talk about all these, you know, really intricate moving parts about buying and selling real estate, different mortgages and appreciation, inflation, all the rest of it. So we're going to create that for you sometime in the next week or so. We have a really busy production schedule, um, but we definitely are going to get that done. It's going to be like a mix and match talking points. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you're talking to somebody where you only talk about one or two points, and then maybe you've got somebody that's more interested and maybe even more analytical about it. Maybe they study it. 
And then maybe you'd use five or six points with them. So we're going to help you out with that so that you don't go around the real estate wilds being a secret agent because you're uncomfortable with those conversations. So that video will be produced for you guys for free that you'll be able to share with your customers. And then we're going to do a podcast where we're going to give you um, you know, the realtor version of it where we're going to get more drilled down and give you the specifics of how to explain things. This is something that has to happen in the marketplace because no one's really doing a great job of explaining all these uh, moving parts. What most people, and I, I mean most people, I mean pretty much everybody, all they're doing is they're leaning back into the last 15 years to try to benchmark or try to predict what's going to happen next. Nobody is actually admitting that they don't know what the hell's going on. Um, well, I'll, I'll admit we don't know what the hell's going on. Nobody really does. No. And why? Because it's something like this has never happened before. There's never been this much inflation this fast with rising interest rates uh, and with there being over $30 trillion of debt, thus making it. I know these are two points, but you guys will understand more. The real moral of the story is there's, only, there's a breaking point where the Fed cannot continue to raise interest rates. Unlike when you hear people say, back in my day, interest <laughs> rates were 20%. Well, right. that cannot happen now because of the amount of money that the Fed owes. Because when the Fed raises the rates, the Fed actually raises the rate on the uh, interest that they have to pay on the national debt. And it was predicted that if rates go up to, I think it was 10%, um, that, that if the Fed rate goes up to 10%, that's going to make it so that the actual amount of money that the Fed takes in or the government takes in every year in the form of taxes, something like a third of it is going to go to just paying interest on the debt. And that means that a lot of, of the, you know, the programs and policies that are in place, we're talking about some of the entitlement programs. They're just not going to be able to get paid for. Do you guys think that's going to happen? Do you think there's going to be a political party that's going to actually be willing to do that? Neither do I. So at the end of the day, there is a built-in cap to high, how high rates will go. But at the same time, the psychology is ultimately what you guys have to learn how to deal with within yourselves and also within your sellers. And that's going to be the biggest challenge. Sellers and buyers emotionally, they are going through the ringer. Now, fortunately, we're going to enter into a time where the inflation is going to feel more normal, where price increases are going to feel more normal. People are going to be a little bit more expectant of things to rise at a sort of, an, you know, really at an even pace. Moderation of everything, basically. Well, I mean, moderation of people are just going to accept it. They're just going to yes. get used to it. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. After September 11th. Yes. Uh, and then Remember all that. of a sudden there was all these, you know, the airport experience completely changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how much, most of you hopefully will know what I'm talking about. Before, you know, traveling, even commercial was actually kind of nice. It was a lot faster. It was a lot faster. To get They're, through security and really, stuff. Really, they weren't running you through, you know, bomb sniffing dogs and taking your shoes off. The whole thing. And, you know, that was out, but now people are used to it. They don't even think about it. And so what's going to happen is we're going to, as a, you know, uh, societally, we'll just accept the fact that inflation is here to stay at, at one form or another, and then it'll normalize. And then one day, uh, hopefully not too far in the distant future, all of a sudden things will start to feel a little bit easier. Things will start to feel like, like you have more breathing room again. Well, for example, you'll have more mortgage products to choose from. Right. Uh, one of our agent friends in Columbus sent me something saying that they are recommending a certain lender, don't ask me who it is because I don't remember, who is doing 15-year adjustables, which is an interesting concept, right? So you're locked in. It's a 30-year loan, but you're locked in for 15 years. In that 15 years, you can refinance or not, but you're at least locked in, and that was going at like about a point and a half less than the 30-year fixed. Well, I mean, there, again, we'll talk more about this in the next podcast. You and I are both looking forward to getting that done. because I know. It's, it's well, really, I think it'll be interesting. Well, it's interesting. I would, though. It's in, <laughs> Right, right. I mean, we're both nerds, but it's yeah. interesting, but it's also important mm -hmm. because we have to really, I think, plant the flag and, 
to help agents move forward. So they them, agents are not going to be very effective if they themselves are feeling fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Exactly. So if we can help them uh, essentially set that aside, then they'll be able to feel comfortable and confident doing that for their customers. And then they can start moving forward. I totally agree. The worst thing you guys can do is stay stagnant, stay complacent, stay essentially where you are. It, you you got to move fast. You just got to say, okay, these are the cards I was dealt. I got to move forward. I got to move downrange. I've got to get back into motion. I got to accept what this market has to give me. I have to set aside the things maybe from the old market that were working or marginally working, and I need to move forward and focus on the things that are working in this market. And notice, guys, if you've been in the industry for a while, do you notice, again, this sounds braggadocious, and I'm not meaning for it to, but do you notice how pretty much everybody out there is saying what Julie and I have been telling you guys for years? Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, run a profit-focused uh, business model. Uh, get back to what some of you refer to the basics. All these things that we've never deviated from is what everyone is migrating back towards. Why? Because those things always work in whatever market, and they always work great in a seller's market. They work great in a transitioning market. They work great in a buyer's market. It's all this other stuff that agents lose money and, frankly, waste time on doing. So focus on really what gets the job done. And I'll give you a little secret here that a lot of you know, is once you get really good at, again, the basics with air quotes, you won't really ever have to do or worry about anything else in your real estate career. So Julie, let's pick up on point number six. Yes. Speaking of listings, right? So yesterday were points number one through five. This is the second part of how to get your listings sold. We talk all the time about taking listings. Now we're talking about actually selling them for more money in less time, ideally, which is what you probably promised the seller. So point number six, problems that you might be having. Does your listing give a bad impression when you open the front door? Yesterday, we talked about 50% of the decision is made from the street. Does it have curb appeal? Well, the other 50% of the buying decision is typically made in the foyer. A clutter-free, bright foyer should make the buyer want to see the rest of the house, not make them want to turn around and go see the next home. Now, there's a when, when you join Premier Coaching, we do give you, what's it called again? The seller book? Proven Home Selling System. Thank you, Julie Harris. It's mm-hmm. the Proven Home Selling System. And what that is... It's something that you give to the seller when you take the listing. Do not give it to them ahead of time, Premier Coaching members. Give it to them after you take the listing. And what it does is gives them a checklist. But really what we're doing in the Proven Home home Selling System are the checklists are telling them to do the things that you would rather not have to tell them. For example, remove the family pictures. For example, remove the dishes from the wall. The (laughs) strange collections. Exactly. (laughs) The beer can collection that you're so proud of, nobody cares about. You know, you guys get the point. And so what we're, the proven home selling system is doing the heavy lifting for you. So we have the pre-listing pack that you're supposed to give them prior to going on the listing appointment that acts as your, you know, basically your silent salesperson. And the proven home selling system is something you give to them after you take the listing, which then will, in a lot of cases, make it so you never have to have a conversation that puts them in conflict. The problem with giving them advice or telling them how to position furniture or remove things from walls, people are always going to take offense even if they don't let you know they were offended. And that will, there'll be a- Well, you can lose listing over it. Completely. There'll be a compounding effect. I mean, I remember very clearly, Julie, Mm -hmm. it was our first year. I remember it It was a crazy modern condo. (laughs) You remember which I'm talking about, right? The lady's name was Hazel. Yep. And um, this was, you know- Muirfield, I remember. This, This was quite a while ago and the listing had expired. And I will never forget when Julie and I are walking through that house, how she was only, she, all that she wanted to do is tell us how pissed off she was that her former listing agent uh, told her to remove her family pictures. Yeah. It was such a big deal to her, but that was a great lesson for us to learn that hopefully you guys are learning from us. So again, take the listing first, take yes. the listing first, let the checklist do the rest. <laughs> 
And then what will happen is if you again follow our proven home selling system, you'll get feedback after every showing. And then the feedback from the co-op, uh, from the buyers and the buyer's agents will again make it so the bad news is coming from somebody else. You don't want to be the deliverer of bad news is really, hopefully you guys are reading between the lines yeah. here. Because what will happen is, is they won't be cooperative with you. They won't lower the price. They'll do things out of spite. They'll do things sometimes sellers will, even if it's not in their own best interest. Julie's laughing because we've had those experiences oh through coaching clients. Yes, I know. I, I, I remember as an expired once said, I knew it was overpriced, but I didn't want to give my listing agent the satisfaction. What? And then we drilled down and he was like, well, that's all they ever asked me to do. They never, you know, suggested anything before they went after me on price. So he had gotten wound up about it. Right. So you just never know what the trigger is going to be. So yeah. remove the uh, likelihood of you flipping any of the, you know, the switches that might turn your perfectly sanguine seller into a psycho. Well, you know, they're stressed out. So you have to appreciate that. Yep. Okay. So point number seven, and this is something that I never realized until it happened to us. Could something be wrong with your actual MLS listing? Okay, meaning the listing in the computer, right? So maybe your pictures aren't loading. Maybe the description doesn't make sense or it's not categorized correctly. I remember I checked on this and somehow it just wasn't showing active. Well, for coaching clients, that's something that we yep. always ask them to do, right? Now, a lot of them are, especially our upper end coaching clients, they all have assistants and do it all. I, this is actually a good part to interject since I brought up the idea of assistants doing some of the, you know, the remedial or not the remedial work, but some of the, I would say the statutory work that's necessary for every listing. A lot of us are firm believers in delegation makes sense right but what happens is is that well, agents in particular they'll delegate things before they actually know how to do the actual activity that they're delegating somebody else to do when you do that it makes it so that you don't know actually whether or not they've done it at the highest level or you've even done it at all true so if you you need to learn how to do all the things that you are going to delegate before you delegate them that way when someone takes you know, two hours to load a listing of the MLS and you know it can be done in 10 minutes, you know there's something else going on there. So one of the rules we teach you guys in our coaching program and it's in our best-selling book, Harris Rules, is delegate but don't abdicate. Delegate but don't abdicate. That's a Tim and Julie Harris copywritten quote. So if anyone's thinking about, you know, That's right. liberating that, don't do it. So, so, so delegate but don't abdicate. Mm -hmm. What that basically means is yes, delegate, but then make sure the actual project is getting done to the standards. You don't always have to overtly monitor that they're actually doing the job. You don't have to be a micromanager. And though, frankly, being a micromanager isn't a bad thing, but you can micromanage through dashboards, through KPIs. You Accountability can is what you're talking about. Right. And then uh, let them know that you're watching because as soon as you abdicate, which means giving up responsibility, giving up uh, the result, they will absolutely 100% start. Every single one, even your best assistant mm -hmm. ever, will absolutely positively stop doing things at the highest level. That's just the hum human nature. They'll figure out shortcuts. They'll decide this wasn't necessary. That Not wasn't even necessary. consciously all the time. It's uh, just a bad habit. Well, for example, there'll be an upgraded process on how to get things in the MLS, or there'll be an enhancement and how you can have your listings fe uh, your featured or your pictures featured, mm -hmm. something silly. But because they've always done it the same way, they're not going to change. They're not looking for reasons to have to learn something new, let alone have to add work to their workload. Well, so, it's not their listing. Right. So this is the reason, ultimately, agents, the mistake that most agents make, a lot of business owners make this as well. They think the mission is to basically build and delegate. The mission is to build, delegate, and monitor, or really micromanage. I think... Um, you know, it was actually Ronald Reagan, I believe, that said this, though I've mm. actually heard that this was quoted to Boris Yeltsin, if you want to know the mm. truth. Okay. Trust but verify. Those yeah. two things go together. So, uh, you know, delegate, don't abdicate. 
and trust but verify. Trust that they're getting it done, but make sure you're verifying that it's, the work has actually been done. Especially with teams, you know, brokerages, stuff like that, where you just offshore some of the work. Well, we I went on, I'll give you guys a perfect example. I went on to Instagram this morning. I actually went into YouTube a Studio this morning, and we have a lot of YouTube shorts that one that our marketing team is cranking out. They're putting out, I think, three or four a day. Um, and then I've noticed that on some of them, there's none of the descriptions and keywords and all that stuff that's being done. So they're doing half the job. They're doing the video. They're putting it up. It's showing up on YouTube, but they're not doing the necessary back-end work that really makes it effective. It's basically YouTube SEO. So I will occasionally log in maybe once or twice a week, and I'll just scroll. It takes me less than a minute, and I'll just scroll to see if the work is done. And I found one today. I messaged this person in our in our workplace that, uh, you know, Julie and I have our workplace in our coaching program through uh, Facebook. And I said, hey, you want to make sure that you're not letting any of these get by you. And, you know, sure enough, this, you know, that that's what had happened. So you always got to trust, but verify. Trust mm -hmm. it's done, but occasionally, not every time, verify that it's actually done to the levels that you expected. Well, and that serves our point here. Could something actually be wrong with your listing? Maybe something didn't load, but... I'll give you, let me just drill down for a second. If you don't put in the square footage and somebody is searching for it, your listing won't pop up. So if I'm looking a thousand square feet to 2000 square feet, but yours is zero, you won't get in that search. Now, some MLSs do not allow you to not put something in, but maybe you put zero because you didn't know. Don't do that. Be accurate. Or exact. That's actually an excellent point. I'm glad that you yeah. finished reading your point. And that could go for square footage. That yes. can go for a lot of different things because I know, you know, when you're searching, you guys are going to search. You guys get the gist of it. And if someone, if an assistant, for example, didn't know the actual acreage uh, and they just guess at it or Or whatever, they put zero because you had to put something in. Right. right? That means that you're going to, you know, why am I not getting any showings? It's because it's not showing up. So for all your listings, are you actually going in there and looking at things as it, as a consumer would see them? You need to do that. Don't just log in from an agent, from the agent side of the um, MLS. Go in from the consumer side. Log yeah. in as if you are a consumer looking on the, you know, through realtor.com in bleh, bleh, Zillow and go and look <laughs> and to see what your actual listings look like and decide if that's how you want to be presented. Because remember what a listing is, what a sign a yard is, what the phone call that you received and, you know, all the ways they're, they're points of contact. They're what our, you know, dearly departed friend and mentor Howard Britton used to say, they're moments of truth. Mm -hmm. So if the moment of truth they have with you with, you know, thinking about doing business with you is substandard. Their description sucks. Pictures are mix, uh, missing. Things just look janky. If I'm a prospective seller, I've just ruled you out because it doesn't look like you give a damn. Yes. Okay. So just a couple more things on that. That also goes for some MLSs still allow you to only put one picture in. You're not going to get showings if there's any competition, if you're not showing anything except one picture, especially if it's a terrible picture. The other thing that could be wrong with your MLS is maybe it, all of that is fine, but you're advertising a bunch of stipulations on what the seller will or won't accept. Your listing will go to the bottom of the showing list or simply not get shown at all. And that also goes for restrictions to being able to see it and all kinds of other things. You do not want to throw a bunch of problems at it. When you, especially when you have competition, you could get away with all that when you were the only listing on the market, not anymore. Okay, point number eight, is your listing in the wrong pricing segment? Now there's a lot of discussion about this. If you're at 509, you are possibly the least attractive listing for a search from 500 to 750. When I look at that and you look at that, we instantly think, well, that's probably a 499 house. 
to make it the best option for somebody searching from 350 to 500. It's best to list at the correct price in the first place, but if you're asking for a reduction, always call it an adjustment and look at what the next logical segment down is. What she's talking about is when you're talking to the seller, but also the price you put on it, how it's actually going to appear in searches. That's kind of a complicated point. But at the end of the day, think about the price segments that people look in. And sometimes it's ironic, but you might be able to actually get more showings to, you know, to basically balance out your point. If you actually raise the price a little bit into But it the makes next, more sense. It, right? Exactly. So you got to be really thinking about how most mm -hmm. buyers and most consumers are going to be searching. And the way for you to actually really be smart about this is go to your MLS, look to see what houses and what price ranges are selling the fastest for the closest asking price. And I know in most of the country, pretty much everything's selling relatively quick, 30 days, 60 days, and most things are still selling closer to asking price. But you're going to see some sweet spots. You're going to see you know, in Iowa, you're going to see a, probably a sweet spot between 350 and 450. You know, you guys get the point. So look to see where the sweet spots are. Show the sellers that's where the activity is. So if that seller's thinking, you know, they're going to be crafty and they're going to list a 450 house at 459, you want to point out to them that there's a hell of a lot of, of fewer showings, activities, and offers for anything over 450. Because if he's going to put it on the market for 450, then that means that he's going to be competing against things that are probably 500 and 550 when that buyer's doing the search. And that means your house automatically is going to look overpriced or not good enough. That's right. And in some markets where there's a lot of FHA and you're going to see FHA come back because of the lower interest rate and uh, more lenient ratios, if the FHA limit is 425 and you're 429, you might see that everything over 425 has a longer days on the market and more price reduction simply because it's out of the FHA easy financing level. By That's the way, very particular, but you got to watch for that. This, what we're talking about now is just an overview, but these yeah. are the conversations that we're having every single day in Premier Coaching. We're equipping our agents to be the best listing agents in the marketplace, bar none. If you're ready to take the next natural step and you're, really, and you're truly ready to take your real estate career to the next level, we made it incredibly easy for you. You can join Premier Coaching. Here's all you have to do. Just text the word Premier to 47372. Just text the word Premier to 47372. Or if you like, you can go to members.timandjulieharris.com, members.timandjulieharris.com. And it takes maybe 20, 25 seconds to completely be, uh, com fill out the application. There's not much of one. It's just one page. And then join Premier Coaching. We're wanting, obviously, we need to know your name, your email address, your phone number, and then you can join Premier Coaching. And then you're going to have instant access to most of the things we talk about and you're also going to be entitled to a daily semi-private coaching call every workday with one of our Harris certified coaches. At this point, every single one of you, and there'll be 10, 15, 20, maybe 25,000 that listen to you, uh, listen to this podcast today. And then over time, there'll even be more. Every single one of you need to be joining Premier Coaching. If you're serious about absolutely positively making the most of this market and the market to come, what is holding you back? It doesn't cost you anything. Text the word Premier to 47372 or just go to members.tim It's the next natural step in your real estate careers. Next point, Julie. Okay, and we have two more and then we'll wrap and we'll do part three tomorrow. So point number nine regarding listings, does your listing look clearly overpriced when compared to its competition? Now, this is a little bit different than our previous point. For example, if there are 10 listings that meet a buyer's criteria and your three-bedroom listing is priced as if it's a four-bedroom, You'll always look overpriced and go to the bottom of the showing list. Split levels or buy levels priced like two stories or ranches also usually look overpriced, as well as anything else unusual for your market, like a house that's on a slab when its competition all has basements. So it has to make sense. How do you figure that out? Well, you can get into your MLS and do a line item report, which will compare 
bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, garage, no garage, all that kind of thing. And if your listing pops out as the only three bedroom that's priced in a sea of four bedrooms, you look like you have a pricing problem. And well, here's, you mentioned split levels in California and we have markets, you know, where split levels are normal. They don't have basements, but they have split right. levels, right? Mm-hmm. Any houses are really built in the seventies and eighties. That's kind of a thing. Well, guess what? If your house is, if the second level, the bait, you walk in basically guys, those of you who don't know what a split level is, you walk in and there's a staircase. It's, it's right it, in front of you, right in front of you. And you have to go up or you have to go down. It's like, make a decision now. I know. It's a little odd. I've always thought it was, right. it always made me uncomfortable. But I'll tell you, the split levels are also kind of cool because they always gave more square footage, right? They do. And privacy, it's, you know, it's but cool if, if you use it right. But if you go down and what will happen sometimes is appraisers won't count the bottom floor in the appraisal. And okay, well, you know, why does that matter? Because even if your buyer agrees to pay the list price, because they like the fact that it's got more square footage. If the bottom floor doesn't have egress windows, if there's a bedroom down there that doesn't have egress. It's below grade. Right. Egress meaning that someone could get out during a fire. If things are below grade, if there's not a door down there, it's going to have to qualify. That square footage is going to have to qualify. Or guess what? It's not going to appraise. And that's going to create problems when it comes to actually getting the mortgage loan, assuming someone's borrowing the money to buy the house. These are all the nuanced things that you have to learn in this marketplace. In the past on Marketplace, most of your buyers wouldn't have cared. And frankly, most of the appraisers wouldn't have cared. It wasn't that, it it wasn't like it is now. Everything is going to change. Everything's going to be focused on agents that have the skill set. This is the reason. Every single day we're hearing from agents who are excited about this market and no way depressed. They're excited because finally they can have a competitive advantage in the marketplace because they know consumers are going to be looking for people that are actual skilled problem solvers. And that excites agents who have the skills to solve the problem. Well, I tell you, all of our coaches are super excited because they get to use even more tools with you that a hot seller's market, you know, maybe you needed them, maybe you didn't, but this is really fun, good stuff that builds your skills. So point number 10, does your listing have a confusing floor plan? We just talked about that. But for example, a modern home in a colonial area, split levels, anything unusual that needs to have extra staging so that buyers and buyer's agents actually understand how the floor plan works. If you can't tell what a room is supposed to be, the home just won't resonate with a potential buyer. It confuses them. The key is wherever there's a room that they don't know what what it's supposed to do, put a pool table in it. No, <laughs> have you guys noticed that's what a lot of homeowners do i you know what's funny about dining rooms especially like you know traditional two stories how many dining rooms have either pool tables in them or a whole bunch of kids stuff like it turned into a playroom that whole dining room thing is, is just well, something that needs staging it's it's so funny because we experience this in all of our you know tens of thousands of coaching clients you yeah. know when we tell this joke they realize it's true if you guys wanted to have a true side hustle, here's what you have to start selling. Just remember, you're going to be a listing agent. You're going to focus on being a listing agent. Here's the side hustle. You're going to have a business that sells used hot tubs, pool tables, dining room sets. Absolutely. Yeah. Tons oh, of those. And arguably play kid sets. Because yeah. those are the things that people never take with them, don't want, would love to gift to whoever is dumb enough to want them. Oh, and occasionally upright pianos. Yes, occasionally. But there is a great script that we teach in coaching, which is simply the way that you live in a house when you're selling it is different than how you normally live in a house. So do you remember when we used to do French Bulldog Rescue? Yeah. And we went to the, we used to deliver the the wayward Frenchie to its foster care. And do you remember that we went into a house and the dining room was this row of like eight <laughs> cages? Do. 
that this we used to call those a failed foster because they never actually gave up their so, foster dogs. So we did this was this is PZ what we call pre Zoe right. So we would do French Bulldog Rescue. French Bulldog Rescue is this national charity. If you ever come across a French Bulldog that needs rescued, French Bulldog Rescue Network. Right, and so Julie and I were basically the Underground Railroad. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys get that <laughs> historical reference. Uh, for these French bulldogs. So they would send Julie an email and they'd say, we've got a bulldog that needs to be rescued. And we did some, uh, we did uh, a little bit of fostering. Well, we did some that were cross state lines. I mean, you know, well, well, it is a national network. So, you know, it was like a relay race to get the rescued one to its foster family. We did some on Christmas Eve. We did all kinds of things, but yeah, I remember that. So we rescued a French bulldog. It was someplace in Southern California, if I remember correctly. And then we took it to another place in Southern California, and we were living in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And that dog was a complete jenked up mess. But when we got it to its final um, French Bulldog rescue, the actual foster, Julie described it, but I think she kind of under-described it, to be <laughs> honest with you. This lady had children, and she was a wonderful, obviously incredibly patient lady. But her whole front room was, like Julie said, it was basically like a, a stacks of cages. You remember eight. I'm sure you're right. Yeah, and she had labels for each of their names uh, labeled on the floor for each dog. And, and their medical and, needs. And their medical needs, you know, their instructions. She had like a herd of Frenchies. Do you remember the backyard? Oh, so, yeah. So the center of the house, the That's kitchen awesome. and the dinette were like, preserved for humans, right? Yeah. Animals couldn't go there. And these kids were like, basically the dogs had more space in the house than the kids in the family did. Mm-hmm. I assume she was married. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. maybe he was in a cage. I didn't look. So, <laughs> but then we walked towards the back of the house and the backyard was all fenced in. And there was a mob of French bulldogs. I don't know how many, but I don't know if you guys like French bulldogs like Julie and I do, but when you see them running, it looks like a big you know, group They're of hilarious. feral pigs, basically. Yeah. But there were probably like 15 of them. Yeah, they were having a good old time. <laughs> and this little sick, homely you know, dog that needed to be rescued, like heard all these dogs playing and the thing had, you had held it the whole time we yep. were driving, you know, we drove mm-hmm. for hours and you'd held it in a blanket and it barely even made eye contact with you and just thought it was forlorn, you know? And then as soon as we got up there, it was around all those other dogs that it was happy again. And that was amazing. It was. I yeah. And we, we did dozens of those. Actually, I miss doing that. It's fun. Yes. So, you know, you guys, let me just turn this into a real estate conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're looking to expand your center of influence, that's a great way to do it because it's clearly, clearly like-minded people. And we're still friends with a lot of the people through Frenchie Rescue Network. And, you know, there's a, there's one called Golden Rescues for Golden mm-hmm. Retrievers. And so you can do something like, you know, donate in somebody's name. You can put that in your pre-listing package in your charity uh, page that a portion of your commissions go to, say, French Bulldog Rescue or whatever your charity is. Be involved with that because it's very easy when somebody cares about the same things that you care about to then form a friendship. Then, of course, you talked about real estate at some point. You don't have to be weird about it and just be in their face when do you plan on selling but you have common interests, and this expands your center of influence. Right. So there we go. We just threw some lead generation in there for all of you, too. Well, you know. Well, can't resist. Exactly. So listen, guys, that's the beautiful thing about real estate, honestly, is that you can intertwine business and personal. You you probably can't do that so much in other professions, not without making it seem weird, weird right? Mm-hmm. I know Zoe's having her tonsils removed, and I can imagine if we were to go in there and it would be an intermix of the doctor's personal interests and you know doing procedures probably wouldn't make me feel that comfortable. No, it would yeah. be a little strange. But real estate's a blessing that way because you really can express your personality. And oddly enough, you'll find that even if you're an oddball like Julie and I, you indeed will find other people that are like you. But we'll look, obviously, we're off topic. The point of this being, guys, in this marketplace, there's more opportunities than there ever have been, certainly in the last 15 years. 
if you feel uncertain, if you feel for a lack of direction, I just, you guys got to be real clear about this. And if you're looking for some all seeing guru to tell you what's going to happen next, there is no such thing. There is no such person. And if anyone shows up in your life acting like they know what the hell is going to happen next, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. That's the reason Julie and I are always with everything when we're prognosticating, when we're guessing, we're telling you we're guessing and we could be wrong. And oftentimes we'll tell you why we might be wrong. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you one thing for sure that I'm 100% confident we're not going to be wrong about. Inflation is here to stay for the foreseeable future. There's not been anything like this that's happened in the economy for at least 75 years. We're in uncharted waters. So be a little versatile. Be, be somebody who's not afraid of adapting to the market as it's being offered to you. Be somebody who's not going to, you know, without you knowing it, and this is absolutely true. We tell you, we've been telling you guys this. Hopefully you're listening. Without you know it, you can lose years. You can lose decades. You can lose, you know, big chunks of your life without really knowing it. And then one day you wake up and you realize you've been operating in this long, you know, basically out of fear. You've been operating with the idea that the sky was going to fall. You're constantly looking for reasons why you never have to, why tomorrow is going to be worse than today. And indeed you make tomorrow worse than today. You can talk about optimism, pessimism, but I'm you know just sharing with you guys, asking you to be introspective. If you're not feeling optimistic right now, if you're not feeling excited about, frankly, the people you can help and the money you can make, if you have an absolutely positively down to your, you know, your core, um, realize that this is a fantastic market and you're in a blessed position because you have a real estate license, you got to ask yourself, what is that going to cost you? In other words, if you're allowing any pessimism, any fear to dominate your thinking, what's the cost of that? Why are you choosing to feel fearful? Ultimately is the question. Why are you choosing to allow yourself to be lulled into complacency by your fear. It is a choice. And we're giving you an option. Don't choose that. Because what happens is, to my previous point, if you do stay in that mode for too long, you will lose, lose massive opportunities, but you will also lose massive chunks of your life. Because if you don't believe tomorrow is going to be better than today, you will subconsciously uh, essentially lock in tomorrow being worse than today. 100%. And that's what a lot of people are doing right now. We feel it. We see it. So do you. Stop doing it. That's right. So get to work. So we we have given you lots of things to work on. If you're listening to this and saying, well, that's all good, but I don't have any listings, you know what you need to do. If you're listening to this and you have one listing, but it's been on the market for a while, you know what to do. If you're listening and you're sitting on 20 or 30 actives, as many of our elite coaching clients are, and you go even two weeks without getting a really good nibble, you've got to look at this as your action list. None of this costs you money. None of it is difficult. But it does cause you to have to be more proactive, more tuned in, and definitely more communicative with your sellers. So again, this is the 30,000-foot view. If you like what you hear on the podcast, get signed up with Premier Coaching. Just text Premier to 47372 or go to members.timandjulieharris.com. Remember, in texting, message and data rates may apply. Tomorrow is part three. Have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.